0: All good. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up to Galatians 5, 16 to 26. Galatians 5, chapter 16 to 26. Um, our primary section that we're going to be really looking at is verses 16 and 17, but we're going to read the whole thing for a bit of context. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, can you turn there? It should be on the, the screens behind me. Um, idolatry, uh, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Um, could I get could I get the handhold? Would that would that be fine? I think so. Yeah. All right. Let's try that. Much better. Um, idolatry, uh, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, uh, dissensions. Uh, in step with the Spirit that does not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, over the last four weeks, we have been journeying through a series on the Holy Spirit, um, and in week one, we looked at the fact that the, person, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not a universal uh, force, he's not an energy, he's not a feeling, uh, but he is a person. He has his own mind, his own will, his own emotions. And he's not a second-rate person. He's not just a person who comes alongside of you sometimes to give you advice. Nor is he like Google Maps to give you some direction in your life or the thought of the day at the bottom of your diary to help inspire you to live a little better. But rather the Holy Spirit is divine. He is God himself. He has been eternally co-equal and co-divine with the Father and the Son. And so that brings a massive responsibility but also a massive privilege for us who have the Holy Spirit within us. And then Greg, in week two, preached on the Holy Spirit's work in salvation, uh, that the Holy Spirit has played an intricate role in your and my salvation. Without the Holy Spirit, there would have been no regeneration, no illumination within us, that it would have allowed us to see Christ as our Savior. And so this means many things for us, but one of the things it does mean is that the Holy Spirit is good. If the Holy Spirit is willing to give you Jesus, then he is good, and we can trust him and uh, be obedient to him and long for more of him. Uh, but then in week three and four, Matt unpacked what we would call the special infillings of the Holy Spirit. And the marks of these, uh, the, these special infillings, or even the motivation to want and to have these infillings, Matt summarized with three S's. Um, the sonship, Uh, That when we are infilled with these special infillings, there's this greater experience within us of our relationship as a child of God. Um, It also that in sanctification, that there's a propelling in our sanctification. There might have been a sin that you were struggling with, but because of the special infilling immediately within you, there's a breaking of that or there's a propelling in your life of holiness and, uh, and then lastly, there was that of service, of there's this empowering for service, that we who have this experience have an empowering for service, greater than we had before to be able to glorify Christ. But though we are wanting these moments, and though these are uh, incredible moments, and we should desire them, that's why we call them the special infillings of the Holy Spirit, um, it must be said that Christians cannot live on just these experiences alone. But that it is vital for us to be able to, as we've seen in our text, walk by the Spirit. Or as Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit. And the idea there is to be continuously, daily filled with the Spirit. This needs to be something that is regular in our lives, daily. Um, When you have a Christmas lunch, you eat a ton of food. And if you're anything like me, you swear you'll never, ever, ever eat another thing in your life again. But if you're like me, you'll probably be sneaking to the fridge later that night and eating some more food. Or the next day, you're eating that very same lunch for leftovers. And in the same way, if a Christian wants to be mature, if he wants to be growing, if a Christian wants to be someone who is uh, growing in their relationship with God, they cannot just depend on the special influence, but they need to have a regular diet of being filled with the Spirit, eating regularly over and over again. And so, Paul says in our text, he says that, that we are to do this by, to walk by the Spirit in Galatians 5 verse 16. But what does it mean to walk by the spirits? Well, the word walk here is quite descriptive. It's beautifully descriptive for us and it can be a bit of helpful for us on maybe trying to understand it. And the, the first thing that we realize is that walking incorporates every area of our life and so should be walking by the Spirit's. As I look across the room, I think that every single one of us had to walk this morning. We had to get up out of our bed, walk to the fridge, get up to walk to the shower, to our cupboards, to our cars, to church, inside of church. Walking incorporates every bit of our lives. And in the same way, there's this necessity for us as Christians as we walk by the Spirit, that it needs to incorporate every element, every section of our lives. From the most mundane thing to the most exciting thing, it is to incorporate those things. The Spirit is meant to be involved there. And that's why in Paul, Ephesians 5 verse 18, when he says, be filled with the Spirit, the word denotes a, a meaning behind it of a complete surrender of every aspect of your life that we come to Christ and we wholly surrender every part of Him uh, and every part of ourselves to Him, that every element of your walk in your everyday walk is that you would go and you would give that to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit to take control. We see this in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. This is what Paul says. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So something as so mundane and as routine as eating and drinking, we should do to the glory of God. We need the Spirit to help us in that. And so let me uh, remind you of an R.A. Torrey quote that we have used quite a lot in the series. He says, often when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we, we ask, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of Him in the biblical way as a divine person, our thought will be instead, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? And so what this is important for us to realize is as we submit to the Holy Spirit in every area of our lives, it's not asking how can I fit the Holy Spirit into my parenting, or how can I fit the Holy Spirit into running my business, or how I uh, have my relationship with my spouse, or my hobbies. It's not asking how we can fit Him in, but rather it's asking how can I submit and give those things to the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit isn't some form of varnish that we touch up parts of our lives like if you were a chair. But rather, He is the carpenter that we hand the chair to and ask Him to do everything He wants with the chair. We give every element of our lives to Him. The next thing that this picture of walking helps us to understand is that walking is something we must do. It's an an intentional act. Now, I don't think many of us that are old here have thought, I need to walk. Maybe if you're particularly old, you have to think about if you're going to walk or not. But walking is still a decision. You could have chosen to roll to the fridge this morning, but you didn't. You walked uh, because it's the easiest way to do it. So it's an action that is required. It's something that is intentional. And in the same way with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit doesn't just happen haphazardly. As a Christian, you're not going to just wake up in the morning and just do it naturally within you. It is a decision that you have to make. Today, I'm going to submit, and today, I'm going to walk by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give myself to Him. And the way that happens, more often than not, is by prayer. So if we are to submit to the Holy Spirit, there's a requirement within us to pray daily to submit the things that are going to happen before, uh, before our day to him. Lord, I've got this business meeting. I've got this a conflict that I need to deal with. I've got this or the other that's coming my way. I need you to be a part of that. I submit that wholly to you. It is intentional. And then also, it is something that we do throughout the day as we pray and as things pop up that we might not have expected. We ask that the Holy Spirit take control of those things and be a part of that. So there's this intentional submitting to him but not only is it an action in, in that it's, it's a, a intentional submitting to all the areas of our life that we have to do that day, but, but also it's a responding to the Holy Spirit. You see, one of the, the works that the Holy Spirit do is, it does in our lives and the work of the Spirit is called sanctification, which is a big word, but essentially is holification. It's making us more and more into the image of Jesus. So what the Holy Spirit does is he molds us and shapes us and makes us more like Christ. We see this in a passage in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that is the image of Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit." And so the work of the Spirit comes into your life, and He guides you to do things and not do things. So that's how this happens in my life, is as I'm about to do something, I feel the nudging and the prompting of the Holy Spirit to not do it. Joe, do not do that thing. However, though He's come and He's spoken to me, I still have a choice. I have a choice. Am I going to be obedient Or aren't I going to be obedient? Am I going to do what I want or what the Spirit wants? Or the Spirit comes and says, Joe, I want you to go and do this. Again, I have a decision. Am I going to be obedient to what He wants or am I going to be obedient to what I want? And so walking by the Spirit is being in tune to what He is saying and doing what He has asked us to do. And so then as we do that, we are molded and shaped more into the image of Christ, depending on whether we choose to be obedient or not. But also, the idea of walking gives us the picture of that it takes time. It takes time. It's, we are not running. This is not a race. Uh, we, this is something that takes time. And uh, walking by the Spirit is, a, is something that we have to learn to do, and it takes time to get there. I, I think particularly uh, there are moments in my life where I look over a uh, and I do a, a check of how well I'm doing, and there, there seems to be still a sin that I was struggling with, like I had been struggling in the past. And I sometimes go to the Lord, Lord, but why am I still struggling with this sin? Why is this still an issue in my life? It's, it, is, it seems to be like this is something I've been wrestling for so long. Why can't I get this right? And I sometimes feel like the Lord looks at me and goes, Joe, I don't know why it's taking you so long either, buddy. Like, if you could hurry up, that would be great. It just, it seems that there's this grind to do it. It takes long. I mean, in that passage in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's one degree, and then another degree, and then another. It's not not rapid. It seems to be slow. But there's no silver bullet, but God is continuously working in us through the Spirit to make us get there. And uh, it takes some time. there there also is a a steady uh, persistence behind it. It's something that we have to persist at doing. We have to walk, and we have to walk, and we have to walk. Um, And uh, again, it's not a race. If I had to take us this morning, we all had to line up outside on Drake, and we had to go for a run. Some of us wouldn't make it up the road. Um, some of us would make it further. If we're heading off to Gunubi, you may make it to Beacon Bay. And others, some of you can run really, really fast. So, but the, the idea is that we actually have, with walking by the Spirit, also have a perseverance with us. There's a, while you might be able to run faster than you can walk, most of us can walk further than we can run. And so there is this a steady persistence and perseverance that comes with walking by the Spirit. And lastly, what this image, is, this image does for us is it brings with it a, a sense of ordinary. There's, there's nothing glamorous about walking by the Spirit daily. This is not the, the special moments, or there, this, is, this is just really, really ordinary stuff. And I, I say that because I think it should bring us some encouragement, that even in the most mundane, ordinary parts of our life, as you're sitting behind your desk at work and you're typing and sending off that email or you're dealing with the clients or whatever it might be, that the Holy Spirit is there. That as you sit at home and, and as you uh, drink that cup of coffee or that cup of tea and nobody else is around, that the Holy Spirit is there with you to lead and to guide you? You can walk by the Spirit in every area of your life. And while walking might be ordinary, it brings us comfort to know that the Spirit is there in the ordinary. And so we are to walk by the Spirit and be in step with Him. And it might seem simple as we talk about walking that this is something easy to do. But I think the reality is, as we've been, for those of you who've been Christian in the room, would know that walking by the Spirit isn't as easy as it might sound that there is a challenge amongst, uh, a challenge at this task to, to walk by the Spirit. It's, it's difficult. I was reading this week in, in Romans 7, verses 18 and 19. And I saw these words again from Paul, where he says, "...for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but do, not the ability to carry it out." For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. So is the conscious, uh, some of us uh, resonate with that. I know I shouldn't do this, but I end up doing it anyway. There's this tension and war within us. The Spirit is telling us to do one thing, but the flesh is telling us to do the other thing, and it's pulling us in different directions. We see that in our text this morning, in Galatians 5.17. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They oppose each other to keep you from doing the thing that you want to do. They are completely opposed to one another. And one pulls you that way, and the other pulls you that way. And though you know you should not do it, it would still feel so good to do it. Though you know you shouldn't open your mouth and give that person a piece of your mind, oh, but the desire within you would feel so good if you could just give it to them, right? Or you've got that juicy piece of gossip and it's just right there and you know they will get excited by hearing it and you will get excited by saying it, but you know you shouldn't. There's this tension within you. One says do this and the other says do that. And uh, there's this wall that wages within us between the flesh and that of the Spirit. But what do we mean by the flesh? Well, when we talk about the flesh in Scripture, particularly here in the Galatians passages, they're not referring to the physical body. But rather what we are talking about is the flesh is referred to as our very nature, our inner being, the thing that makes us who we are. The, the very inner being of who we are is against the spirits. This is why when Paul, uh, Mark came up a little law earlier and says, those who follow false religions never sway from it. Yeah, because they're following the flesh. And that's what they're going for. They don't have the spirit within them to lead them in another direction. And so we have this flesh within us that leads us uh, in one way that is opposed to that of, this, of, of the Spirit. And, it, and the flesh, the, our inner being, this ugliness, manifests itself, Artie uh, Kendall says, in three different ways. And the first way that the flesh manifests itself is in self-centeredness. Uh, self-centeredness looks like it can result in us ugliness, it can create in us mean-heartedness, and probably the ultimate outcome of self-centeredness is that, and the worst place it can go is it can create within us a difference to people's plight and suffering around us. We just don't simply care about the suffering that they are going through. Essentially, it is that of pride. Uh, That's what it is. And uh, may I say that every single one of us, maybe not you, the eight o'clock, the ten and the six, Every single one of them uh, suffer, suffer with, um, with pride. And, and, and it's just a human thing. We all suffer with it. And, and C.S. Lewis says that we can know that we struggle with pride as if someone comes up to us and says that we are prideful and we hurt by it. And if we get angry and want to defend ourselves and say that they're wrong, he says, yeah, that's because your pride is hurt. Or he says, you head off to a dinner party and you're there and you've, you, you're meeting a bunch of strangers and there seems to be this one person who is taking the sense of retention and telling all these grand stories and everyone is listening and that seems to annoy you. If it annoys you, he says, it's because your pride wants to be the center of retention. Isn't that challenging? And so pride is something that we, the, the flesh seems to show and rear its ugly head in. And, uh, and in the words of Frank Sinatra, it's, I did it my way. Um, and uh, that's what the flesh wants to do. It wants to do it, it its way. The second way in which the flesh shows its ugly head is that in worldly pleasures. And this is taking good things that God has given us and turning them into bad things. Taking them and using them in ways in, in which God didn't necessarily design them for. And, and that's what we keep on doing. And examples of this would be, we're going to be talking about food a lot today, it seems, but that of food... Food is good. It's a gift from God. It's it's a human need. We need to have food. And God has given us taste buds to enjoy food. And he's given people creativity to make these most wonderful dishes and recipes so that we can enjoy them and eat them. And that's good. But we tend to take it and make it a sin and eat too much, don't we? And I'm guilty of this. Take me to a coffee shop where there is cheesecake and I will have some regardless of whether I need it or not. We actually always need cheesecake, and so I, I tend to, this is my fa- it's just the best thing in the world. And, and, and the same is, when, again, with Christmas lunch. Don't we just eat too much? Lie down on the couch afterwards with our food pregnancies. Because we just, it's just, oh, you look like you're six months pregnant because you've eaten too much food. We take something that God has given us that is good and we turn it into bad. Another example of that would be money. Money itself is not evil, but the love of money is. And so this is not a poor person, a rich person thing or a poor person thing. This is a human thing where we take money and we put it in a position where we shouldn't. And we know that we have put money in the wrong position when it is our confidence. When you, the size of your bank account determines whether or not you're gonna have sleepless nights or not. Whether you, uh, whether Ramaphosa decides to fire a finance minister, uh, which has happened in our country before, and all of a sudden all your investments a tank, and suddenly you have sleepless nights again. It's probably because we have put our confidence not in God, the one who clothes, clothes the, the flowers and feeds the birds, but rather in, in our bank accounts as well. And so there is, we, the flesh rears itself in taking good things and making them bad. The, the next way the flesh does is what the flesh rears itself in is of that of unbelief of unbelief. And this is, this is taking the good commands of God and rationalizing them away. That God has given us clear instructions, but we decide we can come up with some form of logic or some form of reason why it is good for us not to be obedient to that instruction. An example for that are those couples that sleep together before marriage. Clearly, God has made it as that, that a man and a woman should not sleep together before marriage. But yet, we rationalize it away with, oh, we love each other. We want to be with each other our whole lives. We are committed to each other. This is a good thing for us to do. Or we, we say, it's, oh man, it's cheaper for us to live together. We only have to pay for one rent, not two, which is right. There's a, there's a logical reason behind it. But instead, what we do is we take the commands of God and we give, take the logic and we swipe away the commands of God. And the root behind that... It's not necessarily because we want to be good stewards of our money or because we want it to be uh, logic, but rather it's an unbelief in God himself, that God who is the creator of all things, who sustains all things, who's knitted us in our mother's womb, is the same God who knows what's best for us, and yet we go, "Mm, I actually think I know what's best. And so it's an unbelief in what he, that he has our, our best interests at heart, and we do what we want rather than he, what he wants for us. There's this unbelief within us. And, and so there's this necessity for us to have a faith to trust him. Think about it, and maybe another example that we can maybe all relate to is that when we get angry, someone has wronged us. They've done something that they shouldn't have done. What do we do? We want to get angry. We want to get back at them. We want vengeance. What does God say? Forgive them. And vengeance is mine. But logic says, no, you need to get them back. Logic says, tit for tat. Logic says, if you don't get them back, they're not going to learn their lesson. And you want to be a nice person and help, help them learn a lesson. But God it requires faith to trust in God and, and his, his command to say, forgive them, let go of the bitterness, and I will get them back. I, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and to trust that He will deal with it. Even in his hands. And so this is this is the flesh that raises raises uh, ugly head within us, and something that we have to continually struggle with that is constantly pulling us away in one direction. But thank God the spirit is strong within us too, and creates a lot of feelings within us. And the, so those of you who have been walking by the spirit for a long time will notice that there are some good feelings and good desires within you. You have. You have become more and more godly as you have lived by the Spirit in your lives. So if, as we've seen in our, in our text this morning, that if the, if the flesh pulls us one way and the Spirit is pulling us other way, they're opposed to each other, I feel what happens as well is the Spirit produces in us the opposite things. And what I mean by that is if the, the flesh produces our self-centeredness, then the Spirit produces within us self-effacing, uh, makes us self-effacing. The Spirit himself is self-effacing. The Spirit Himself is not about Him, uh, about making Himself gl- uh, glorious and great. He, he comes alongside us to make Jesus and the Father great. He points us toward Christ. He makes much of Him. He, he is always pointing us there, not necessarily pointing to Himself. And the same will happen to the Christian who is walking by the Spirit. You will not become about yourself. You will become about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. Those will be attributes and a characteristic in you. You will love up and love in to others in the church and love out to those out there. You will care about other people. That will be something that is made and, uh, uh, within you by the Spirit, that you will love your neighbors by yourself, as, you, as yourself. And may I, may I just point out there that there are some who teach that in order to love your neighbors as you love yourself, you need to go on a 10-week course on how to love yourself. And that is not what Jesus is saying here at all. Uh, Remember, the flesh is uh, self-centered naturally. We love ourselves really, really well. And actually what Jesus is saying is if you could love others as much as you love yourself, you'll be filling the law. It's quite remarkable, actually. You'll be doing exactly what God wants you to be doing in, in the way you treat others. So love others as you love yourself. The, the next thing that the, uh, the Spirit does within us is that He makes the good things that God has given us and helps us to use them well. So He gives us a lasting joy in these areas because what the Spirit does is doesn't take the gifts that God has given us, the good things that He has given us, and use them badly, but rather He points us to the giver of the gifts. Does that make sense? Instead of making much about the gifts or the good thing like the flesh does, what the, the Spirit does is makes much about the giver of the gift, God himself. And so all the good things that we have in our lives is what the Spirit does is make those things lead to Jesus. Those things point us toward God where we will ultimately have a fullness of joy in him and not in the temporal things that are around us. The Spirit will give us, uh, ultimately will lead into the full presence of God and give us life. We see this in a, another passage I read this week in Romans 8 verses 6. And eight, it says, uh, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so what I love about this is that he says that those who live by the flesh will leave to death, but those who live by the, the spirit will lead to life. There is a peace and life that is found for those of you who are going to walk by the Spirit. And I say that this morning because as I speak to about a couple of hundred of people in this room, I realize that within this uh, group this morning, that there are those of you who are going through mountaintop experiences, life is decent and good. And there are those of you who are going through valley lows at the moment, and life is hard. And the concept of a war within you and choosing the right thing and fighting maybe doesn't appeal to you. Because for those of you who are on the mountaintop experiences, who wants to go to war, right? Things are great. And for those of you who are in the valleys, the who wants to go to war, you're already in one. Why do you need another battle to fight? But what this helps us to realize is that to walk by the Spirit, yes, it might be tough, but ultimately it leads to life and peace that lasting life and peace, not the temporal mountaintop experiences, and it will, in the midst of your hardship, give you a life and peace. Are you, are you struggling with heartbreak and hurt this morning? Walk by the Spirit, because you will find the God of all comfort there. Are you struggling with a bitterness and an unforgiveness towards someone that is just eating you up inside? Walk by the Spirit, because He gives you life. He will give you peace, says this text. Are are you really just uh, uh, struggling and burdened with life? Walk by the Spirit because He leads you to Jesus who will give you rest. And and so I say that this morning because while this is a war within us, life in its fullness and joy in its fullness is found by walking by the Spirit because He Himself is God and He leads us into the presence of God and that is what we need. All that you need is found by walking by the Spirit because He leads us to Jesus. And then if the flesh produces within us unbelief, then what the Spirit produces within us is faith because our faith is most stable and most strong, and most sure when it is centered on who Jesus is. And that's what the Spirit does. He leads us to Christ. Do you want a stable faith, a strong faith, a faith that doesn't get messed around by the storms of life, ones that can handle every situation? It's walking by the Spirit that you will get it because you will find it in Jesus, and He will give you Jesus. But not only will He give you a sure, strong faith, but He will also give you a bold faith a faith to go where He sends you. He will, as we walk by the Spirit, He leads us, He directs us, He takes us down a path that we might not necessarily have gone down, but it requires faith to follow Him. But where will He lead us? Well, the world is His, and, uh, and he, we are His, and so He can lead us anywhere. He might, he might lead you across the room this morning to go talk to a stranger that you haven't met, but you see he's standing or, or she's standing alone looking for someone to come and say hello to you. I know that takes courage. You need the Spirit to help you do that. It might be across the road to go speak to a neighbor that you know who doesn't know Jesus. It might be across the country to go on a mission trip or into Lesotho in October. It might be that God might be moving you across the globe to go partner with him in mission somewhere else. But God can lead you anywhere and he will give you the faith to be able to do so if you would walk by the spirits. He will lead you there too. And then the last thing that we need to realize by the Spirit is that there is a sens- sensitivity to the spirits, And this is so important for us to understand. If we are going to walk by the Spirit, we need to know that part of His character is that He is sensitive. And when I say that, I don't mean that in a negative sense. It's, 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 not, it's not like He needs to toughen up in any way. He's all-powerful, right? He, he, I think He's got the tough thing down. But what I mean by that is that He's a gentleman in that He will not hold on to the wheel of your life if you want to snatch it back. If you come and you want him to lead your life again, he will take a step aside and he will let you lead it. And there's a a need for us to know that he will step back and take it. And we so easily do take back that wheel of our lives. As we at the start of the day might submit ourselves to Jesus and say, Lord, uh, to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, would you lead me today? May I I, I walk uh, uh, by the power of your Spirit today? as we do that at the, at the start of the day, there is at some point where we inevitably are going to try to snatch that wheel back because what we want to do is far stronger than what uh, what we want to do is going to outweigh what he wants us to do, and we're going to take it back. And so it's important for us to get that. Um, and, and, and this idea of him being sensitive comes from one of the images that is used by by the Spirit, is that he is a, he is a, a turtle dove. We see this in um, the image when Jesus is being baptized and he comes out of the water and the, the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then there's this image of the Holy Spirit that comes down as a dove in bodily form, comes and lands on him and remains on him. And this is the image there is that of a turtle dove and I, I'm, I'm not an expert in turtle doves or pigeons. Uh, this is what, what based on what I read, but apparently turtle doves are things that like to enjoy the quiet, not noise. When there's a bunch of noise, they flatter away, which is opposite to a pigeon, at least the pigeons are where I drive. Because as I try, I drive and they just stay in the road, and I feel like I want to ride them over, or well, I want to at the very least. And, and so the, the, pigeon, uh, the pigeon is, is there and, and is amongst the noise and the busyness of life, where, the, where, the, where, where a turtle dove likes the peace and quiet. And also something that's different between a pigeon and and a turtle dove is a pigeon will have multiple mates, but the the turtle dove has one. It's faithful. And so that's important for us to realize as well is that the Holy Spirit is faithful to us. And so what does it mean then that the Holy Spirit is sensitive to the noise around us? Well, let's look at Ephesians 4 verses 30 and 32. It shed some light on this for us. It says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And as you can imagine, as you get bitter and angry and there's fighting, whether it's out loud against your spouse or a colleague or the person who's driving badly in traffic, or whether it's just within you, there can be a bunch of noise that can create a noise in a sense where the Spirit takes a step back from the wheel of our lives and lets us take control again. But the opposite seems to be in the text, that actually when we love one another, when we are kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us, that the Spirit keeps His hands upon the wheel. And I can only imagine in my life how often on the day that those emotions range from bitterness and anger and frustration and annoyance where I am taking back the wheel. And so there's this need for us in, when we sin, when we mess up, when we disobedience the Lord, when we get angry, hold unforgiveness in our hearts and bitterness, that there is a need for us to be sensitive to the fact that the Spirit has probably taken His hand off the wheel of our lives and we need to submit to Him again. And the way we do this is that we need to realize that He's missing. and, and I, what. I feel like this can take in a moment, in my experience, this can happen in the moment as I'm getting cross and annoyed, I can feel the conviction of the Spirit saying, cheers, buddy, I'm out of here. Or it can take a while, where it can take days, if not longer than that, before you start to realize, actually, I have my life, the, the, the wheel of my life in my own hands and the Spirit isn't leading me in this anymore. I'm doing this all myself. But how do we determine if that has happened? Well, the, the way we do it by is if there's a lack of joy and peace within our hearts and an easiness with God. And so it requires a sensitivity of ourselves to be able to look and go, is that joy there? Is that peace there? Is there a sensitivity with God there? We see this in Romans uh, 14, 17. It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So is it that there, or have I frustrated, gotten frustrated and annoyed that I have chased away the Holy Spirit um, out, out, of, out of my life? And when you notice that, when you see that, when you realize that you need to ask for forgiveness, ask the Lord to forgive you, that you would be so stubborn, that you would, and, and so arrogant to think that you could lead your own life better than he could lead yours. Ask him to forgive you. Submit to him again. Ask him to take the reign of your life again. And and, and I, I say that because it's essentially every single one of us are probably going to have to do that every day. Daily, we are stubborn. The flesh is still very strong within us. And daily, we're going to have to say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for that. Take reign of my life, and if you do that, we see in one John one verse nine. It says, "If we confess our sins, that He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. If we, if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you ask for forgiveness, He's not going to say no. Beg more. He's not going to force your hand. Or no, no, you need to prove yourself over time. He will come again and He will lead you and guide you as you get to walk by the step of the spirits." And and I want to warn us here as well to not go and try to look under every nook and cranny in our hearts. The danger is that we can become so fearful of there being so much sin within us that we want to look under every nook and cranny so that we can find that sin. And while introspection is good, too much introspection can be bad as well, where it creates within us a doubt of our sonship and daughtership of God, it can create within us a legalism which is dangerous. But rather just rest in the fact that, um, that uh, God, sorry, what we see in verse 19 of our text, in, in chapter 19, it says that the work of the flesh is evidence. It's not something that you have to try and it's, it's evident within your life. It should be easy to see. Don't look too hard for it. Ask the Spirit to show you it. He will, that's part of his work as, as he sanctifies us. If you ask him, show me where my sin is, he will do so. And then repent of it and move on. And let Him guide you and lead you in that. Rest in the blood of Christ that you are right with Him, that you enter into His presence not based on your performance, but based on what Jesus has done, and and live by that. And this will be incredibly difficult to do, but may I remind you that it leads to life, that it leads to life and peace. And so striving to live by the Spirit, to walk in step with Him, is something that we all need to do daily. And if we would do so, we'll find life and peace. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that um, you have not left us here alone. That, Lord Jesus, that you, would, that you would send your Holy Spirit to come and dwell within us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church to be sensitive to your Spirit, that we had eyes to see, uh, you moving and to be a part of it, and Lord, that we would. Uh